And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a fantastic week. A great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Eric Brakey. Always a great time talking to Eric. And we covered a lot. We talked about his uh, his decision to run once again for the Maine State Senate and uh, what uh, state legislators uh, across the country should be focusing on here in, in the coming years. Uh, we talked about why uh, why both sides seem to be honing in so uh, so much on, on these cultural issues and avoiding things like you know, inflation and, and economic issues. Um, and we, we covered a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Eric, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you are on iTunes, please uh, take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Eric Brakey. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Eric Brakey. Eric, how you been, man? I'm doing well, Brady. It's been like a whole 24 hours since we spoke to each other last, so. It has, it has been literally <laughs> hours since we've done a podcast together. But, um, yeah, man, so, uh, yeah, by the way, side note, yeah, I was on Eric's show, Free America Now, yesterday. Highly recommend it. Go subscribe right now, wherever you get your podcast. Don't delay. It's free, by the way. So just go subscribe. Listen to it. It's great. Yeah, show. we've even got free in the title. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. You can have a free America right now. So for for the audience members that don't know, you uh, after a couple years out of out of politics, not out of politics, but out of elected politics, um, you've decided to run for office again. You're running for your old seat in the Maine State Senate. Um, why on earth would you do that to yourself? And <laughs> what made you want to get back in the game now? You know, uh, to some degree, I, I guess I have a little bit less eagerness than perhaps any other time I've run in the past. <laughs> I, I am a little bit just kind of exhausted by just how crazy things have gotten in our in yeah. our country uh, and around the world. And of course, this is I've run for office four times now, twice for the state Senate and races I won twice for federal office uh, for the United States Senate and for U.S. Congress out of Maine races I didn't win, sadly. And, um, you know, but whenever I get kind of exhausted and I think, can I just like, can I just like go home, retire to the woods and just <laughs> be left alone by the world, which I think is always uh, the libertarian impulse, right? Right. We don't, we don't want power. We want liberty. So we're inclined to run for the hills, not run for office. Right. Whenever I get exhausted, I think about Ron Paul and his long battle of 30 years uh, in Congress uh, virtually unappreciated until the Ron Paul revolution just really exploded in the final leg of his uh, of his political efforts and kind of gave rise to, you know, I think so much of the vibrant and growing liberty movement that we have today. So whenever I get exhausted, I think about Ron Paul. And when I look at where we are right now, I feel like are those of us who love liberty, those of us who love the principles of our Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, our, our backs are against the wall right now. Yeah. Now, it's, it, now is the time to either stand up 
and fight with all we got or to surrender and just accept that America isn't the country that uh, that we love anymore. America is right. not a country of liberty. It is a country of tyranny. We have become an empire and we've lost our republic. And I'm not willing to accept that. Right. Uh, I, I think that we have such a, a great inheritance from those generations that came before us and built this country and built, uh, you know, built the, the principles of freedom and liberty that we supposedly stand for. And I'm not willing to give it up. So I am running again for the main state Senate, which is the district that I've held in the past. It's one of the most notorious swing districts in Maine. Uh, it, it has predicted the majority in the Maine Senate. For the last 14 years, whichever party has won this district uh, has been in the majority. And uh, Democrats have controlled it since I since I left the main Senate four years ago to, to run for uh, the U.S. Senate. And uh, when the Democrat incumbent heard I was running, maybe it was just a coincidence, but he decided it was time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's an open seat. And uh, I, I am running against a formidable Democrat opponent, a former two-term state representative who's a big government as it comes and uh, taking $70,000 from the main taxpayers to fund her campaign through this Oof. program we have called, well, I call it welfare for politicians. They call it clean elections. I think clean elections is a propaganda term. Wait, so Either explain, way, so explain take, that. There's yeah. nothing like that in Ohio. So this sounds pretty wild. It's awful. It's so it's it, they, they, it was passed at referendum many years ago called the Maine Clean Elections Program. I don't find anything clean about it. Yeah. What it does is it takes taxpayer money and gives it to political candidates for office in order so that they can buy yard signs and junk mail oh. and robocalls and and all the all the things. Um, anyway, all these kind of political expenses. And if, when it was sold to the main people, it was very much, hey, this is going to help special interest money get out of politics. We're going to get special interest money out. And by having public financing, taxpayer financing, and won't that be great? Uh, the reality, has it has not lived up to that in, in any regard. Uh, it has actually made it more and more expensive for a, a regular person to run for office. The special interest money has only increased in politics in the years since. Yes, there are le there's less special interest money going directly to candidates because candidates can take taxpayer money instead of getting voluntary contributions from people. Right. But what that has actually resulted in is less regular people giving to politics and the special interests just send their money <laughs> to the political parties and yeah. the political action committees instead. And it actually just ju jumps through a number of, of hoops before it uh, comes into these races as independent expenditures. But the political candidates know at the end of the day who to thank right. for those uh, uh, the, the millions of dollars that come in oh, through the PACs and political parties to, to support them. They know at the end of the day who to thank. But we, the people, when we look up the campaign finance reports for the candidates, we don't get to see. It's not a, you don't get to see as clearly who is backing these candidates because they don't have to list it on their own campaign contrib contribution forms. So, yeah, it's it's, it's done mess. the opposite <laughs> of everything they said. It's made it's made politics less transparent. It's emboldened the special interests more. It's given leadership more power over their members because now members are depend on the right. leadership packs in order to to benefit to support them since they can't raise their own funds. And of course, this is a this is a program in Maine that they're trying to bring uh, in uh, uh, some form 
on the national level. Oh, uh, you know, we may remember last year, H.R. 1, uh, the they call it the, you know, for the people act. It's really for the politicians. Uh, they want to take taxpayer money so that every 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 member of Congress can get millions of dollars from American taxpayers to finance their campaigns. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 a terrible idea. It's like so many things. The progressives have used Maine for a long time as their Petri dish for terrible ideas because we're a small state uh, where a cheap date compared to a lot of uh, right. other states. And so they'll they'll just come in, they'll spend a couple million dollars to unroll their progressive ideas, put them on the ballot or through the Democrat legislature. And, uh, you know, they wreck things here and then they, they take it and then they try to roll it out across the country. So uh, if we can stop those bad progressive ideas here in Maine, then we do a pretty good job of stopping them in their tracks from <laughs> rolling out across the country. Right. So, I mean, when you were a state senator, you you got constitutional carry passed, you got right to try passed, and you guys passed quite a bit of good legislation. And, um, you know, we've seen, now we we discussed this on your show yesterday, you know, constitutional carry is now in, what, 24 states? I mean, you're seeing like a lot of of these state legislatures passing a lot of good stuff. Right to try is passed all over the place. You see um, a lot of like pro-life legislation being passed in Texas and other places. And, uh, but like, you know, if if you win the seat back, which hopefully you do, um, and not not even just you personally, like what should you know, Liberty Republicans um, across the country be pushing next? You know, yeah. like obviously the states that don't have con carry and and right to try and all that stuff, you know, keep pushing for that. You know, we'll see what happens in in Florida, and Nebraska, and, and these other states. But like, what are some things that maybe you know I haven't thought of that you know? I mean, wh- when you guys passed constitutional carry in Maine, it wasn't like. You know, Vegas probably didn't have very good odds on you guys being able to get that done, you know. Um, yeah. So like, we're still, aside, the, only, aside we're still the, the only state to pass it through a Democrat-controlled uh, right. uh, legislature, well, Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. No, right. no, every other state where it's been passed, it's been all Republicans. Right. So like other than the obvious stuff like weed, guns, abortion, stuff like that, what, what are some other things that legislators across the country should be looking at in the next few years? Well, first of all, I'll say leading into that question. I think that it's at a very exciting time for the liberty movement in the state legislatures. Yes. When I was last in the main Senate, uh, I was maybe one of the, the <laughs> I guess I was a bit of a pioneer of a sort in that there were only maybe a small handful of, of kind of really Ron Paul inspired liberty legislators across the country. I guess if you're being generous looking across the right. states, you could maybe count to 10. Right. Now we're close to 200. Right. And uh, we're across 37 states. And this is numbers based on the Young Americans for Liberty Hazlitt coalition of, of, of legislators, which I'm looking forward to joining. Right. Because um, that wasn't there when I was there last. Yeah. And, you know, I could get constitutional carry passed or some of these uh, different bills passed in my own state. Uh, but there really wasn't a network across the states where you could right. do things in a coordinated fashion. Right. Now I am excited because. You know, because we can coordinate across 37 states, we can really fight back against federal tyranny in a way that we couldn't before. You know, in the past, you know, you could try to nullify something on the federal level, but always the concern is if you were to do something that really threatened federal power and you were just one small state like Maine trying to do it, the feds would just come and crack down on you. They'd threaten your federal funds. They'd have all kinds of ways to punish you for trying to stand up alone against them. Um, though in Maine, we're, you know, 
we're not shy about standing up alone (laughs) by ourselves when we need to. But it certainly is great when we have so many other states standing with us. And now we can do that. So things I'm uh, I guess two things that immediately come to mind that I would really love to see as far as things we can pursue now that really challenge federal power. First, defend the guard. Uh, This is something that is being sponsored now across the country in many states. The Pentagon is actively lobbying against it because it really threatens the uh, the flow of forever war. Right. And all it does is it is it says, you know, we the states demand that Congress follow the Constitution when it comes to congressional war powers, that uh, the Constitution says that the militias now known as the National Guard can be called up by the president under three circumstances to repel invasion, to suppress insurrection, or to enforce the laws of the union. Now, uh, what does that third one mean, to enforce the laws of the union? Well, there's a legal process for uh, for taking our country to war. Congress right. has to declare it. That's their responsibility and their power in the Constitution. But of course, no war has been declared since World War, I believe since since World War II was the last time we had a formal declaration of war. 1943, yep. Right. And you look at the last 20 years of war in the Middle East in particular, our our, our National Guardsmen from the states account for about 50% of our armed forces on the ground, uh, whether it was in Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria, all of these undeclared wars, the 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 Washington D.C. never had the legal authority to take our National Guard troops and send them off to fight in these forever wars. Yeah. So, and Congress doesn't want to vote for these wars because last time they voted even just to, um, uh, you know, for authorization for youth, the AUMF in like I- yeah. Iraq. A lot of them got voted out of office for that. Yeah, the wars aren't popular, so they don't want to be on the record. They just want the president to be able to decide. That's not acceptable. Yeah. And so the states, the states have the power. They should stand up and say, "You want to take our young men and women off to fight and die in these wars? Then Congress has to have the courage to actually sign their damn names to yeah. these wars, so that we've got someone we can hold accountable if the people do not agree that these wars are necessary and the sacrifice of our young men and women in uniform is necessary. So. That's something we can absolutely push. Something I would also like to see, and maybe this is even more radical. Um, uh, it's an idea that yeah, I, I got the idea actually reading Tom Woods's book Nullification years ago, and it was almost just like an asterisk in this book. This idea of tax nullification. I was hoping uh, you'd get to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about. Have we talked about this before? I think I think maybe we have. But it's um, basically. So what I'd like to see. I'd like to see, you know, we we've been complaining for a long time about all of the unconstitutional purposes the federal government spends our money on. Right. And there seems to be no recourse from a state level. Congress doesn't even pass budgets anymore. They just do continuing resolutions. And it's a joke what goes on in Washington, D.C. We've got trillion dollar deficits. Debt is now over 30 trillion. I'd like the states to stand up and and say, you know what? Um if Congress isn't going to do their job, we're going to have the states stand up and just like we're doing with defend the, the guard and enforce the Constitution. So rather than sending our tax dollars from our people in our states directly to the IRS on the federal level, I'd like the states to step in the middle of that. The states yeah. to stand up and say, you know what? The tax dollars from our people are going to go to the state first. 
We're going to be the safe guardians of that. And the state legislatures should demand to see the federal budget for an opportunity to review the federal budget and to uh, and to review it on the grounds of constitutionality. And then from there say, all right, we find that 20 percent of what you're spending our money on is constitutional. Therefore, we're going to send you 20 percent of the bill you say that we owe you. And that, what I like about this is that it it undercuts the ability of the federal government to. Yeah to do this process of uh, what, what this is how they've always controlled the states. They steal our money and they ransom it back to us with strings attached. Yeah. The fear is always we can't stand up to the federal government because they'll cut off our federal funds. Well, if you've collected the federal funds, if you're the one, if the states right. are holding on to those federal funds, then they can't cut off the federal funds. They say, oh, we're going to cut off your federal highway funds. Tough. We're holding on to the federal highway funds. So you cut that <laughs> off from us. We'll just We'll supplant it with the funds that our our state taxpayers uh, would have been paying to the federal government that we didn't send on to you guys. And uh, and we'll we'll supplant it there. And whatever's left over, we'll refund it to the taxpayers. So I think those are two things that we can do on the state level that will be more effective at combating federal tyranny than anything coming out of Washington, D.C. It wouldn't take that many states for either one of those proposals, whether it's defend the guard or withholding federal funds from from the government until you can review budgets. I mean, if 10 states passed laws to that effect, it would it would change the way it would force the federal government to change the way they do business. I mean, they would have yeah. to start declaring war to, to use the national guard. I mean, t- look, I mean, 10, a dozen, maybe 15 states, if they were to pass to defend the guard, it would completely change the way the federal government does war. The same with withholding this. St- I mean, my goodness, you could bankrupt the federal government if five states withheld federal funds, more than likely. Yeah. So it's like it would, you know, passing things like that. It, how, which states have uh, has defend the guard gotten close? I, I know there there are a handful of states where there's some serious activity on defend the guard. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know off the top of your head which which states? So I don't know. I I know that there was some serious uh, uh, ground made in Texas. Yeah. In that I think that, you know, I think they ended up, uh, they ended up actually ended up being some weak sauce like resolution put yeah. forward. Actually, there was a version that came forward that actually was pretty troubling. Uh, it was like how politicians try to address an issue that they've like, they've heard from the people. It's like, wow, the people care about this. This seems like a real issue, <laughs> but we don't want to piss off Washington, D.C. So they came up with the worst possible oh, uh, no. uh, middle ground. I, I, it ended up being killed, as I, as I recall. But they said, all right. What we're going to have do is we're going to have our, our Texas National Guardsmen, when they sign up, they're going to sign something acknowledging that they may be sent off to fight unconstitutional wars. <laughs> it's like, oh my that, doesn't fix, that doesn't <laughs> fix the problem. That actually undercuts the, that, that undercuts things. So that, oh, no. thankfully that got killed. But it's it's something that I think states are uh, because I think so, because so much of the push for this is coming from veteran communities. Like here in Maine, it's like one of the great champions for this is a guy named Sergeant Aaron Rollins, who is a um, he's the commander of one of the biggest um, uh, American Legion posts in the state. Uh, and unanimously, his American Legion post uh, um, uh, endorsed this. And of course, it falls in line with the, the national kind of American Legion resolutions, which didn't specifically endorse Defend the Guard, but did call for ending the forever wars. Yeah. So 
philosophically, it's in line with what the, this is, you know, the, the American Legion has called for nationally. It's just here's an actual policy we can do to enforce that to end the forever wars. So uh, a lot of it's coming from veteran communities who have fought these wars. And I think that becomes harder and harder for legislatures to ignore because it's not just some like, you know, it's easy to ignore kind of peacenik hippies um, right. you know, on the left. It's much harder to ignore the men and women who have fought these wars, seen firsthand uh, how disastrous they've been uh, and and have faced the abuse of, uh, of being sent off to fight in missionless wars with no victory conditions, with no clear American interest uh, that are clearly just going on because, uh, as the uh, Afghanistan report found, they were self-licking ice cream cones for right. military industrial complex. I mean, unless you're Mitt Romney, then you're totally fine uh, calling combat oh, vets treasonous for not wanting to go to nuclear war with Russia. So some people have no some people have no problem um, dismissing com- combat vets. I, I cannot stand these chicken hawks. Oh, it's dude. one thing if you like if you actually served. So like you can say what we can say what we will about like John McCain. God rest his soul. I'm not a fan of John McCain. Right. But compared to Mitt Romney, at least John McCain actually served. Yeah. Uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney got like four deferments from the war in Afghanistan uh, from the I'm sorry, from the war in Vietnam while he was calling for uh, y- our, America's young men and women to go off into every single Middle Eastern war. All of none of his kids served. He said that, oh, my kids are serving their country. This is during his uh, presidential campaign. My kids are serving their country by helping me, me campaign for president. Oh, sorry, Mitt Romney. That's not the same thing. Ugh. So. <laughs> You know, it's the chicken hawks that bother me, the ones who will send everyone else's kids off to fight and die, but they would not serve when given the opportunity and they would not have their children serve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, So we we were talking about this on your show yesterday. Once again, Free America Now, go subscribe. Um, We were talking about how we hate talking about um, these minute cultural issues when you know we have like a land war in Europe and, and record high inflation and an economy on the brink of complete collapse and all of this, and it's like if you look at Twitter, what everybody's debating are these like small time kind of cultural issues that don't, you know, there's clearly bigger fish to fry. So I'm not I'm not saying these issues aren't important, but there's yeah. clearly bigger fish to fry. But I, I think it's important because that's what everybody's talking about right now. Just to mention the the political side of of all of these cultural issues, because I, I think, and I don't, I don't watch these confirmation hearings live because I don't hate myself, but uh, I value my time more than that. But I, you know, I catch up on like the highlights or I'll read like a recap of um, these like Supreme court uh, confirmation hearings and, and uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, who's Biden's nominee for SCOTUS, the, her confirmation hearing started this week. And, um, and it's all like, you, you can tell what, November is going to come down to right now because both sides questioning her, it's all like, they're not even asking her constitutional issues. It's all this like cultural culture right. war stuff. And that's what, you know, so the clip that went viral is Marsha Blackburn asking Jackson if she can define what a woman is. And Jackson says she doesn't know because she's not a biologist, which is an objectively hilarious thing to say. I mean, like that is, that's funny. And so the whole thing is cringe. But, like, the Republicans know they have a winner on this stuff. I mean, they look at Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, who he campaigned only on education, only on, like, the critical Mm -hmm. race theory stuff and, you know, vouchers, school choice and all that. Like, he really leaned into the 
cultural stuff, primarily education. And, I mean, he flipped a blue state red. And the GOP, you know, I think they're going to lean hard. <laughs> hard. You can tell from these confirmation hearings, they're leaning hard into the culture war stuff. Obviously, you and I wish they would focus on more important issues, but the GOP knows they have a winner here because the left has become so radical. And I, I, I do you agree that, like, all of these contentious races, I think, are going to be fought on the culture war battlefield, unfortunately? Like, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, like, real policy debates going on in these Senate races and, and governor's races. It's going to be, I, I think both sides are really leaning hard into the culture. And, and, you know, the GOP typically doesn't, but I just think they recognize this because what they saw in Virginia is a winning issue for them. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, it's frustrating for me to watch because I feel like both sides on a lot of these issues are crazy. Uh, <laughs> and, and that they're, I mean, especially Look, not every cultural issue like, you know, I'm pro-life and I think it's very clear that like, you know, a, a baby is a baby and has right. like natural unalienable rights. I think sometimes the culture war issues are there's there's a clear black black and white. Oh, of course. But I also but I also think that there's a lot of these issues that we oversimplify for political reasons and to like sort people into political tribes you know uh you, you know this is we make everything like a like a binary issue you right. know you view it this way or you view it this way and there's no there's no nuance there's no room for nuance in between one of the things that bothers me about and i don't i don't really talk about this very um very much because i know how um explosive and politically charged this topic is on all sides, everyone wants to demagogue the issue, but like, you know, um, I know trans people and, yeah, so do I. and I, I think that, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think the right risks walking in, wading into this territory where they act like trans that, 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 you know, gender dysphoria and people are transgender that this that th this does not exist as a legitimate medical condition and i can tell you like at least from my own personal experiences and like knowing people who've gone through this it, it's a legitimate medical condition and i even was just going over this research from the cleveland clinic where they've scanned people's brains and they found that like trans people tend to have the the actual architecture of their brain is is different than right. those, uh, 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 you know, otherwise who are kind of of the biological sex they were born as. Um, so, so there's something going on physically going on in the brain. It's not just some imagined thing. And I don't know why that happens. I don't know if, if we, if it's more common today than it was in the past, or we're just talking about it more. I don't know if it's like all the modern chemicals that like kids are exposed to in the womb and as young children i i, I have no idea why this is happening but i turn, do know turn that the it, the freaking frogs gay or whatever right alex jones, alex jones said. <laughs> right so so I, I mean i would love for our conversations about this whatever public policy we, we we decide we need to move towards i would love for it to be you know built on the premise of understanding that like this is a real thing right right it's not it's not just an invented made-up thing it's a real thing um but I also what drives me crazy about the left is we can say that this is a real thing, but also I, I'm very sympathetic to the concerns of conservatives that especially when we're talking about children, like oh, yeah. what about false diagnosis? 
you know, what if what if someone is falsely diagnosed or what if someone is just going through a phase and they've kind of just like on the bandwagon? I don't know how common that is. I, I have no idea, but I certainly could accept the idea that it happens at least some of the time. So what about t- occasions where you do have a false diagnosis and you're talking about permanent, irreversible surgeries, particularly when you're talking about kids like, boy, that makes me uncomfortable. And I yeah. think it's 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 very understandable for average people to be uncomfortable with that and for us to grapple with how do we craft pu- public policy that protects protects children and uh it's not it's not crazy to be wary about what kinds of conversations around these issues uh, are are happening in schools when we're talking about like kindergartners yeah right like the the, like, chil- the kids is, is really where the democrats messed up i think i mean that's like you know they really they, the democrats had no business losing that virginia gubernatorial race you know but they really they really messed up they, they really underestimated how much parents want to protect their children you know and you see like the 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 florida bill that says government school teachers can't teach five-year-olds about sex you know i mean it's like the most benign like common sense like bill i've ever read yeah you know what i mean and the left are freaking out and they're 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 just going nuts over it. and it's like they they pulled that bill nationally and it has like 75 percent support yeah you know what i mean so it's like stuff like and like the critical race theory stuff too it's like over two-thirds of parents don't want critical race theory taught in schools and, and stuff like that and it's like yeah and, and the other side of that and, and so those are obviously winning issues for republicans but also like you know when we have record high inflation the the biden regime has been awful uh, in terms of economics i mean they're i mean who knows how much pain we're going to be seeing economically in the coming years Typically, it would be a great time for Republicans running for re-election to talk about fiscal issues. But like, unless your name's Rand Paul or Thomas Massey, how can you, with a straight face, right. run on balancing the budget and reducing debt? I mean, like, I, I you know, they didn't right. spend the way the Democrats did, but Trump is partially responsible, and the Republicans are partially responsible for everything we're seeing now. They spent like, it was going out of style. So it's like, yeah, I, it's almost like the only. Ground, you know, Republicans almost need like the CRT stuff and all, all this stuff because like how do you run? I mean, like unless you're Rand Paul, right. uh, how, right. how the heck do you right. run? You, right. you can't do the Tea Party platform right now. It's impossible. Right. You know, after George W. Bush, with the Tea Party, the Republican conservative base had a kind of coming to coming to Jesus about all the spending that happened, right. and so there was a bit of a. Uh, they, they there was credibility to talk about these issues because yeah. Republicans were holding their own people accountable yeah. for all the overspending. I mean, that's why Mike Lee is a U.S. senator right now. Like he defeated yeah. an incumbent Republican senator in 2010 who had voted for the bank bailouts. Like yeah. there was a a there was the Tea Party was not just some rah rah Republican thing. It was about it was it was. It, about holding leaders in the Republican Party accountable to these principles. And after the four years of Trump, and we've talked about, I've always, things I liked about Trump, things I didn't like about Trump, I did not like the spending. He was a big spender. I know. And there has been no reconciliation with that. There's been no kind of acknowledgement from Republicans that, yeah, maybe those like trillions of dollars that we spent in the last year of the Trump presidency on on COVID relief, along with the Democrats, uh, when we even when when Trump called for kicking Thomas Massey out of the party for being <laughs> a fiscal conservative and saying yeah. this is crazy and it's going to lead to inflation. 
Yep. Republicans want to blame all the inflation on the Democrats, and I there's know. plenty of blame on the Democrats, but there's blame on the Republicans too, because yep. the last year of Donald Trump, we saw that, I mean, the deficits explode. They ran the printing press like like never seen before. It's been a long- disaster. Right, right. And so both sides in Washington, D.C. are- complicit in this. So of course, Republicans, what are they going to, it's like, it's like on the one hand, I'm glad when I hear them talk about like getting spending under control, cause I'm glad to return to this. But on the other hand, I just hear it out of the mouths of people who are just so, just so morally bankrupt. Yeah. It's like, whenever I hear them talk about it, I just think you're a damn hypocrite. Yeah. I, how can I believe everything, anything and at the, all that comes out of your mouth about this? And a, a big difference too, between the tea party movement and now is that it's not just Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and Mike Lee. There are other intelligent, <laughs> fiscally responsible Republicans out there, but they are terrified of Donald Trump. They are terrified. They you, like Donald Trump is banned from the entire internet, and people are still <laughs> they will not cross him. They won't call him out for anything because he he's so he attacks people on a personal level. Like he just like he just I just saw it today. Like he attacked a. Uh, uh, one of like the real Trumpy get Mo Brooks down in uh, Alabama, who's like a, a a super Trump supporter. Like he's like one of Trump's guys, and mm. like he said something along the lines of like, "Can we move on from the 2020 election?" And <laughs> Trump, <laughs> I mean, he his now he he can't tweet, so he tweets on like letterheads, you know. So he tweets a letterhead or you know releases a tweet on a letterhead condemning Mo Brooks, and it's like, so these guys like they're never gonna call out. The, Trump for his spending. They're never going to do that because, I mean, n- nobody, George yeah. Bush wasn't going to come after people personally. <laughs> you know what I mean? He wasn't going to, like, you know, slander, you know, his own party or whatever. And, like, Trump will, man. He doesn't care. If you are mean to him, he will try to ruin your life. And so just people, I don't know, man, like, they're just scared. Like, they're just like these little scared children right now. They just won't, you know, and then all of them have enough fiscal blood on their hands, too. It's like, what was Mitch McConnell going to talk about balancing the budget? Like, come on, please. I mean, he's been. <laughs> complicit in all of this since yeah. day one so it's like yeah yeah man it's like so i get it like i understand why republicans feel like they have to lean hard on the cultural stuff because it's like that's all they got left that's all they got left yeah but but what what i what i worry about is that so i mean frankly some of these cultural issues just feel like sometimes i feel like it's a psyop <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it 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 is it is these it, it is ways for the government to divide the American public to yeah. get us fighting against each other while they rob us blind. Yeah. Because while we are divided, while we are fighting against each other, we are not united fighting against them. It's classic divide and conquer strategy. Like yeah. they can, all the wars, all the trillions of dollars of theft. And we aren't talking about it because we're fighting over, you know, what the policy should be on trans people in like in swimming competitions. Right. You right. know, or so it, ultimately, like and of course, that's not to minimize like that's not to minimize the importance of, of, of many of these things. People were involved in it. It makes a big difference, especially if that's your life that you live. Um, but boy, do we really need to make all of these decisions in a centralized fashion in Washington, D.C.? Frankly, I think that when we are talking about these cultural issues of where of like individual, 
it's best to make the decisions as close to the individual people affected as possible. Oh, it's course. best to make decisions on the local level and the state level. And of course, like is, 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 should, should policy in Portland, Oregon on transgender issues, should that be the same as in Texas? Like really, are we going to try to force, we are such a huge Hundreds of millions of people across this country were very culturally diverse from each other on 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 on, on these issues. Are we really going to try to impose kind of one size fits all standards for how to how to uh, on public policy from from the federal level on down? Like that's not what our constitution was built for. Oh, we're no. supposed to have fifty different states, laboratories of innovation. Some states are going to do crazy things that we're going to look at and say, "Boy, that just seems crazy. I don't want to live there." And great, you don't have to live there, <laughs> you yeah, know. I mean, it's it's like you know, I, I've spent time in somewhere like fifteen hundred towns and cities in forty six different states, and like if you haven't traveled all around this country, let me tell you, I mean, it is just as culturally diverse as the continent of Europe, but we're all in the same yeah. country and speak the same language. I mean, there's just no different. There's no similarities culturally between Portland, Oregon, and Lincoln, Nebraska. It's just, it's like you're in completely different countries, man. Like, it's just yeah. one size fits all, like, cultural policies just they are never going to work here. Right. The only way the union is saved oh, is yeah. if we learn to embrace the Tenth Amendment, decentralization, live and let live, and just, um, you know, recognize and stop trying to dominate each other through Washington, D.C. I think that that's why we are, every single election cycle feels life or death. Because we keep giving, shoveling more and more power into Washington D.C. If we devolve power back to the states, let Oregon be Oregon. And frankly, there are people in Eastern Oregon who want to be Idaho. <laughs> let <Right>. them join <laughs> Idaho. Let people let let people exist in the communities that that culturally, you know, they feel they feel represent them. And let's stop just trying to dominate each other. Absolutely, I, I think it, it, that's the only way we're going to be able to live with each other, or we're gonna we're gonna break apart in a very violent fashion. And I think that would be, uh, um, uh, you know, that would be a dangerous time in America. That would be less than ideal. I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you. One more thing before I let you go, um, talk about things that don't matter. Uh, the Libertarian Party is at the top of the list in my mind of things that don't matter. I, I man, just. N- not joining the GO or not joining the LP as a young man has got to be like the best decision I ever made because those people are like legitimately hilarious and like I I'll check anytime there's like these big flashpoint cultural things I'll go I don't even follow them on Twitter because they're so annoying but I'll go to like the the LP's official like national account on Twitter just to see what they say because like you can like clockwork the LP it's like they'll take the least popular and the least libertarian side of every fight between the democrats and the republicans like without like it's hilarious it cracked me up this morning man they uh because they everybody's talking about critical race theory because of the the hearing yesterday and like critical race theory is government schools teaching kids that they're racist if they're white Right. So that's like a completely morally bankrupt thing to do. And like the LP yeah, was and just it's, on And this... it's Marxism. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's literal Marxism. It's any it's, kind it's, of. Cri- it's, yeah. Any it's, racial critical mar- theory. it's racial Marxism. Instead of the proletariat yeah. versus the bourgeoisie, we, yes. you know, instead of econ- economic classes, it's looking at Marxist theory through racial classes and pitting us against each other. So, so the, yeah. So the Libertarian Party's Twitter account is spending a ton of time trying to dunk on the GOP 
for opposing critical race theory. That's the position they've taken. <laughs> Pro, I'm like, guys, these people, every time, man, just for comedy's sake, I'll just yeah. check out, like, the LP Twitter account's take on issues just because I'm like, watch this. They will take the least, po- and plus, like, critical race theory has, like, 20% support nationally. Extraordinarily unpopular <laughs> for obvious reasons. So it's like you can count on those people to take, like, an extremely unpopular mm-hmm. and unlibertarian position on everything. I just, I don't know. I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy checking I mean, in on those people sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, as as much criticism as can be levied at, like, the leadership of the LP, I know that there's a fight going on in the LP right now there for, is. you know, future leadership. And I, and, but, so I, I do want to say, I, I, you know, I try to, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in the Libertarian Party. I obviously, so do I. Th- I, I obviously think that the GOP is a strategically a better vehicle to use to make liberty win in our lifetimes. Uh, and I've had debates with Dave Smith on all that that people can go back and, and look at, which were a lot of fun. I have a lot of respect for Dave, even though we, I guess, have a different strategic view on this. Right. Uh, yeah, Dave, Dave's but, great. Dave's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I ultimately, if you know, if you want to, if you, political parties are ideologically neutral vehicles, you just got to hop in the one that's going to that's going to get you where you want to go. And what I want to go where I want to go is towards a more free society. And to do that, we got to be able to win elections, get people into policy making positions and fight for freedom and liberty from those positions. And as of right now, who knows, maybe in the future election laws change and the two-party duopoly you know, crumbles. But as of right now, we live in a two-party duopoly, and the Libertarian Party is not an effective vehicle for getting people elected. So if you want to get elected, if that's part of your strategy to, to, to advancing liberty, the GOP, oh, frankly, even the Democratic Party can be a better vehicle for oh, yeah. that. So, yeah, I mean, Ron Paul ran for president as a libertarian, too, and nobody noticed. <laughs> you know, obviously, he, Rand Paul, or Ron Paul created more libertarians than probably any anybody in living memory, and it wouldn't have happened without the infrastructure of the GOP. I mean, that's, you know, we don't need to get into that. I, I don't think anybody—I <laughs> <laughs> I think that's—I think most LP members would, would agree with us on, on that one, but it was just funny to me. I was like, I, I on cultural stuff, like, I it's like these— they can't wait. I know that it's more they're more like left libertarians that that run the LP now. And hopefully Dave and all his people take it over because they're all ideologically pretty close to me, I'd say. But um, it's, it was just funny to me <laughs> taking like yeah. a Marxist side of this like cultural debate, the classic libertarianism right there. But anyway, I uh, just had to get that in before we we wrapped up. But Eric, my brother, thanks for doing this. Let's do it again soon. Uh, where can everybody hey. check out your show, which once again, highly recommend. Go check it out. And uh, where can everybody keep in touch with you and, and also check out your campaign as you're running for the main Senate? Absolutely. The podcast is Free America Now. It's on all major podcasting apps. You can follow me on Twitter at Senator Brakey. And check out our campaign website, BrakeyForSenate.com. You could even chip in 5 10 25 what $850, whatever, <laughs> if you want to chip in and help uh, help. Uh, help us uh, reclaim this state Senate seat, uh, which, you know, from the past there, a lot of the stuff we got done on the state level has had ripple effects across the entire country. So let's go yeah. for the states. Congress is a waste of time. Absolutely. Yeah, you mean you're not, you're not confident that Thomas Massey can get concealed carry through the, the U.S. House alone? I Just am him. <laughs> so glad that Thomas Massey is there using his platform to advocate and educate people on liberty. 
sadly, at least in the immediate future, you know, beyond that, no one is going to be able to change policy in a significant way from the federal level. Absolutely. Everybody follow Eric. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Thank you.